As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our preview for World Cup Group F. The group contains a powerhouse European nation that seems to be clinging dearly to its golden generation. Belgium have talent to look pretty scary, even if their home shirts make them look like Guy Fieri. One team will hope to avoid coming in fourth is America's friendly neighbour to the north. Canada are on the big stage for only the second time. Will they go out or are they a boat to hit their prime? And if you need a team with a bit of musical soul, Group F is bringing us some Moroccan roll. And last but not least, the side who'll pull no punches when they face you. I'm talking about 2018 World Cup finalists Croatia. Modric and Perisic will expect to advance. And in this group, I guess they've got a decent chance. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who hopefully weave in multiple in Bruges references when he looks at Belgium (laughs) today, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. It's all about the alcoves, my friend. That's where they can find that dominance. That's where they can spring surprises is in the alcoves. (laughs) My my favorite quote from that movie is, poker trees kind of like the in-betweeny one. You won't really poop, but you weren't all that great either, like Tottenham. A bit like Tottenham. <laughs> There's so many good quotes in that movie. I love it so much. Also, my introduction to the Dubliners, a, a wonderful Irish band. There you band. go. There, you, there go. you go. So much benefit from In Bruges. More on Belgium later in this episode. But for now, Taylor, we introduce a man who can make plenty of film references when discussing the Morocco team today. Joe Lowry, I'm sure you're aware of lots of movies shot in Morocco like Inception, Black Hawk Down, James Bond Spectre, and of course, your favorite, Sex and the City 2. Ah, I've seen one of those. I'm proud of myself. I hit one out of however many that was. I am, I'm happy to talk Morocco. I'm genuinely excited. This might be my favorite group of the entire tournament, or at least I think that now. I think that this one could go so many different ways. I think there's a lot of compelling and fun teams in this group. Lots of fun storylines as well. Um, so yeah, Ryan, if we want to talk about Moroccan cinema, we can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll touch on that later. But yeah, I am excited for this one. Which was the movie you'd seen, just so we know? Inception. Okay, good. I was, yep, yep, good, 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 good. It was really sex in the city, too. <laughs> it was. It I just didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it. I was hoping it would have been. Uh, a, a, a movie that the film critic Mark Commode called The End of Western Civilization, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
what? <laughs> anyway, uh, joining us, a man who is talking about Canada today and can reference the hundreds of movies that Toronto has been uh, used as a backdrop for. Graham Ruthven, did you know, for example, uh, Good Will Hunting, shot in Toronto? Harvard yeah. is in Toronto. Did you know American Psycho, Toronto is New York? And the movie of Chicago is not Chicago. Yeah, so basically any major American city in a movie is not actually in America, most commonly. It's in Canada, and mm-hmm. I was actually going there. I thought that you might ask me about films filmed in Canada, Ryan. Twilight, as well, yeah. filmed in Canada. My Big Fat Greek Wedding, not filmed in Greece, filmed in Canada. <laughs> Basically every Hollywood film, not filmed in Hollywood, filmed in Canada. Mm, got to love them tax breaks, I guess, Graham, is what it's all about there. Good stuff. Indeed. Yes. Yikes. <laughs> yes, we'll be hearing more about the Canadians very soon. Uh, also, I'm covering Croatia, by the way. Uh, I don't think there's many movies shot in Croatia, but Game of Game Thrones. Thrones. Game of Thrones, uh, yes. Yeah, so lots of Westeros uh, was in Croatia. Now it seems to be mostly CGI from looking at the most recent Dragons show. But yeah, Croatia coming up too. You know what else is coming up, Graham? Live show, November 20th in Plural. Brooklyn. Many movies have been shot in Brooklyn, I believe. Uh, too many to mention. But one very important show happening this weekend. Uh, and plural, as you mentioned, Graham, tell us more about the second live event we are hosting in New York. Yeah, so our first live event is on November 20th. There are still some tickets for that. That's Total Soccer Show Live from New York. That will be a, a conventional live show in a show setting. We have a second event uh, a week later on November 27th. That will be also in Brooklyn, but at a venue called Park Life. It's just oh, around the corner that. from Littlefield. Ryan will not let me down with a Park, a park Life uh, shout every time I mention Park Life. Tickets for that one are $15, so cheaper than the the live show. And this event is going to be just a lot more informal. Uh, there'll be a bit of a quiz, there'll be prizes. It'll be during the Spain-Germany game, so it's the TSS World Cup watch party. The game will be on the big screens. It's in a bar, so come along, have a drink. And yeah, it's just an- another reason to be excited to, to head to New York. It's a little bit strange, I have to say, everyone this week heading to, everyone I follow on Twitter heading to Qatar, and we're all going to work, uh, work the World Cup and me personally and you as well Ryan we're heading further away from the World Cup itself that's being held in the Middle East but nonetheless very excited for us, us four to be together and very excited for the, the two live events yeah I, uh, I have little envy because we're going to be in the Big Apple Graham or as they call it here Indeed. La Grande Mela Wonderful stuff. <laughs> uh, well, that's just a translation. I don't know what they call it here. Okay. I've anyway. not actually heard anyone call it that. <laughs> I have not. I have not. Uh, why don't we talk about Group F a little, though? Uh, Taylor Rockwell, if you will, I'd love to start with a little chat about Belgium. Let's hear their mm-hmm. nickname and the name that you are giving them for this tournament, please. Yes, sir. Their nickname would be the Red Devils uh, in multiple different languages because there are multiple different languages spoken in Belgium. But the Red Devils is the nickname. I am calling them the Old Faithfuls. Uh, the Old Faithfuls, the most famous geyser in Yellowstone National Park. Maybe the world. I don't know of many other geysers. Uh, it's naturally amazing and spectacular, sort of the way Belgium plays. Uh, the geyser is also predictable and entertains viewers about 17 times a day. Uh, Belgium predictable in that they tend to get uh, very 
strong results. They tend to score goals. They tend to be a really fun team to watch. Uh, and Yellow, uh, 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 Old Faithful itself has erupted every 44 minutes, every 44 to 125 minutes since 2000. So again, you can sit your clock by it. You know it's going to happen. But at the same time, uh, there is also that kind of constant threat that maybe it's going to erupt massively. It hasn't erupted in like 70,000 years, but it could, and it could like split the whole country in half, or it might shut down entirely due to climate change. That's the latest one. Always fun news for me. Uh, so in terms of Belgium, they can entertain, they can be really awesome, but they might flame out spectacularly or self-destruct uh, pretty visibly. Uh, so I think Old Faithful is what I'm going with. That's, that's interesting, Taylor. You've named them after a site of outstanding natural beauty. When we look at the kits that Belgium are wearing in this tournament, uh, easily the worst international kits I've ever seen with the flames on the sleeves as if they were going bowling with Guy Fieri. They're the Red Devils, man. They're, they're, they're uh, nothing if not on brand. And if they are sponsored by Flavortown and you do get Guy Fieri's visage on the front, would that make you like them more? I feel like I feel like this is just you like taking a stand because you've been pro Chili's and you've been pro Hard Rock. I guess Guy Fieri is where you draw okay, the line. Sorry, this is where I draw the line. <laughs> are, 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 Ryan, are, are you, you, are you trying colors? to slander Guy Fieri? I agree the jerseys aren't great, um, but uh, comparing them to Guy Fieri is the only redeemable part about them. I'm I'm just really confused at the tone we're taking here. Which side is everyone on on this whole Guy Fieri debate? And your answer will determine our future friendship status. Okay, I'm just saying Guy Fieri, I have nothing against his cuisine. I just don't okay. think his sartorial eloquence is up there, Graham. Uh, Joe, sorry. I Don't try to fancy it up. I don't think, he, I don't <laughs> think people should dress like he dresses. Okay, there you go. Fine, also, that's thing, an acceptable uh, answer. Graham, your turn. <laughs> the, the other thing about the Belgium jerseys is, yes, the home jersey is an abomination, but the, the away jersey is very good. Oh, it's it a is. tribute to Tomorrowland, not the George Clooney Disney film that mm. flopped terribly. Was it shown in Toronto? The EDM music, music festival that uh, takes place in Belgium every year. Very nice. Uh, Graham, uh, tell us about... Oh, I am pro Guy Thank Fieri. Thank you, Taylor. Uh, I was about for, to reinterrupt Ryan. <laughs> uh, pro Guy Fieri for charity. Also pro these jerseys. I think you all are just being a little bit stuck in your ways. You just want traditional. Why don't you just go buy the U.S. home shirt, huh? Uh, I like the flames no. on the sleeves. I like the flames on the socks that match. You two no. uh, are, ju- are, are just old men who don't like change I'm, there in your faces. Generally, I'm, I'm just not in favor of anything that makes me look like a Hot Wheels car. <laughs> That's so. it. That's it. <laughs> uh, Taylor, I liked your pronunciation of Guy Fieri. There. It was very Italian. Fieri. Which I believe means proud. Mm-hmm. Very nice. It's also not his real name, just FYI. Fun fact. He's not a real guy, you mean? Yeah. No, he's not a real guy. He's it's, not a real it's, guy. It's all a, it's wow. all a hoax. Wow. He's a robot. You learn something new every day. Every day is a school day. And Graham, on that note, tell us about mm. Canada and their nickname and their nickname you are assigning them. So officially, Canada, their national team goes by the, the nickname of Le Rouge, which obviously means the Reds, but also the Maple Leafs and the Canucks. I thought they were hockey teams, but there you go. Those are <laughs> nicknames for the football team as well. My total soccer show nickname for Canada is 2015-16 Leicester City. So as I will detail later, <laughs> wow. there are similarities between how Leicester played when they won yeah, the Premier League title and how this Canadian team plays. I am not saying Canada are going to win the World Cup, but just qualifying for this tournament is sort of a Leicester City-esque story, given where they've come from in recent years. And if Canada do go on a run, which I don't think is beyond the realms of possibility, there will be a party to rival anything at Jamie Vardy's house in 2016. <laughs> Guy Ramsey 
Ferry. Yeah. I did not know that, Joe. Told you ya. have blown my mind. Wait, yeah. so his second name, is, his surname isn't even Fieri. He's no, already Ferry. He, he changed it, yeah, like Stephen Colbert style almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cool. Wow. There we go. Uh, Guy Ferry. Ryan said, it's cool. Definitely, like, it's... <laughs> I mean, it's still a fine name. It's just like you do. I I get why he did that because it's sort of like yeah, like American cuisine from Guy Ferry versus Guy Fieri. Now I'm like, ooh, what are we? We're, yeah. we're going to Flavortown. Yeah. We're adding jalapeno. I don't know Dorito dust to our to our fried shrimp. Let's make this yeah. happen. But Ryan, you know the this is a very British reference, so I'll keep it short. But you know the the the, the dancer on Strictly Come Dancing called Anton Dubeck. His real name is Tony Beak. Uh, so he decided to put a flourish on his name as well. Similar sort of vibes to Jack Guy Fieri. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Elton John and all that jazz and changing names. We, Let's, uh, we could not have picked a conversation that Ryan cares less about than the one that we're in right now. <laughs> I, I think what, what I hear from that, Joe, because I agree, that's just suspicious to me. And now I'm like, yeah, what's, is Ryan what's really real Ryan name? Reynolds? And he got bitter that he's not the Ryan Reynolds, so he changed his name to Ryan Bailey. I, I, th- th- we got to look into this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he was picking yeah. a Twitter name, and his real his real <laughs> name was taken already. Ah, I'm going to have to pick a new name so I can get the, a better Twitter handle. And then he settled for Ryan J. Bailey. Never did I expect we'd spend so much time talking about Guy Fieri on, the ep- on this episode, but here we are. You did this! I know! I know! It's my own doing! Uh, Joe, let's change the subject slightly to Morocco, please, and their nickname and your name for them so which guy fieri restaurant is your favorite taylor that's what i want to know um okay guy oh i'm really losing it here all right morocco's nickname (laughs) ryan i'll I'll help you out here is the atlas lions that's the only thing that can pull me back in because that nickname is so sick the atlas lions is hands down the best nickname that we have talked about so far in our previews maybe there's a better one coming later this week i don't know i haven't done my prep yet but i love the atlas lions so the lions Part comes from the fact that lions are native to North Africa and Atlas Mountains are in Morocco. So hence the Atlas Lions. We smushed it together and that's where that comes from. My my TSS nickname for this team is the Power Struggle, which I tried to get on the same dramatic, cool level as the Atlas Lions. There's been a fight over a couple of key players in this Moroccan team for more than a year now. And it certainly seems like the players won, and we'll talk about that later. And now they're going to try to help their country make it uh, make a run at this tournament. The power struggle, I think, has already happened. Now we'll see if the right decisions were made and if it pays off for Morocco. Joe, uh, just in case you needed to know, uh, Guy Fieri does indeed have a Moroccan meatballs <laughs> right, recipe. Really? It's got a 3.6 out of 5 <laughs> review, uh, so not great, but I think it uh, it gets the job done. In a done. pinch, yeah, uh, in a pinch if you need It would be 2.6 if he was Guy Fieri. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, this is the best. I am losing control done. of this episode very quickly. <laughs> I'm going to turn my attention to Croatia, who are known you as. Think you have control. The- <laughs> <laughs> Don't bang quote on me. That's my move. Come on. Uh, oh. Croatia are uh, the Vatrini, the Blazers, or the Kokasti. The Kokasti, the checkered ones. Uh, so those are their official or um, more commonly used nicknames. The nickname I am assigning to Croatia is. The bat above the averagers. The bat above the averagers. Uh, my reasoning being that Croatia is a nation of just 3.8 million people. Uh, Scotland has 5.5 million people. Just all saying. Right, right. Just saying. Uh, by my reckoning, Croatia are the smallest European nation by population of any qualified team. And you have to bear in mind that most of the players who are on this team have lived through the Croatian War of Independence, so not ideal circumstances uh, for the grounding of sporting triumph as well. And of course, this team was World Cup finalists the last time around. In the most recent Nations League, they've beaten France and Denmark to top League A Group 1 or League 1 Group A, whatever it is in the Nations League. 
So the bat above the averages for Croatia. I think they're going to punch above their weight at this one too. How deep they will go, we'll find out later. Uh, let's go, though, to the story of each team in Group F. Taylor, if you will furnish us a Guy Fieri-free pre of Belgium uh, up to this tournament. Yes, I shall do my best. Uh, no, I'm not going to fit in any Guy Fieri here, uh, I promise. But I will say this is uh, one of those times where the World Cup being in the winter makes them a more confusing team. Because if we were recording this after they had secured qualification, I would be saying that they are a favorite and looking great uh, in uh, qualification from Group E. Six wins, two draws, zero losses, 25 goals for, six against. Uh, they drew games at Wales and at the Czech Republic. They beat Estonian Belgium. Belarus uh, both times, but they uh, qualified very comfortably. Less successful in the Nations League, which would have, I believe, taken taken place after the World Cup. Uh, but since we have that, that change of schedule, they've now played those games. Uh, second in their group uh, on 10 points behind the Netherlands, who have 16. Uh, but three wins, one draw, two losses. So it shows you that against... Uh, maybe slightly deeper teams with slightly more talent, they can struggle. And against teams that will sit deep and defend, they might struggle. Uh, and more worryingly, I would say, is that they only had 11 goals for and 8 against. So fewer goals scored and more conceded in fewer games than in World Cup qualifying. Uh, admittedly, against the Dutch, who are quite good and I think would be one of my favorites to to win the tournament. But when you're looking at this Belgium team, there should be that talent there. There is that talent there, and so you want that like predictability in the way that they are performing and the results they are getting. And that's not quite been there of late. I still think they're a very good team. I still think they make it out of this group, but it's that sort of up and down form combined with the, uh, the kind of issues with key players like Lukaku coming back, hasn't played a ton of games Aiden Hazard uh, hasn't played a ton of games. So how kind of motivated fit ready to go are they? So there is about this uh, Belgium team, a predictability, which makes them the old faithfuls, but at the same time, they can be slightly unpredictable, which is what I would say whenever you have a thing that naturally erupts into the air. Oh, yeah, very nice. Um, Graham, let's learn a little about Canada's story. Peter, Patter, get at her. <laughs> so I'm not going to attempt to do any Canadian accent because I sometimes struggle with uh, differentiating between like a Minnesota accent and a Canadian accent. Is there, is there a bit of overlap actually. there? Am I fair, I, fair in saying I that? feel like there is. Mm. I, I'm also not from the Midwest and would probably get made fun of by people I do know that are from the Midwest. But there's there's got to be some similarities. Yeah, I feel like there is. But I'm not going to try it anyway. So their their story for this World Cup is one of the best. And you could strong, strongly argue that in terms of the, the hashtag narrative, Canada are the team of this World Cup. So they've, they've only ever appeared at one men's World Cup before, and that was all the way back in 1986. So there is a, an entire generation, maybe even two ge generations, of Canadian soccer fans who haven't seen their country at a men's World Cup. They're not back here by fluke either. In fact, Canada finished top of the, the final round of CONCACAF qualifying, ahead of Mexico and ahead of the United States. And over the, the whole qualifying campaign, I think it's fair to say Canada were the best team in CONCACAF qualifying. They deserve to finish top. They, they started off with qualifiers in, 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 in the first round of qualifying against teams like Bermuda and the Cayman Islands. And they finished with uh, a very strong final round showing. They beat Mexico and the USA. They scored more goals in the, the Ocho than any other team. And they conceded the fewest as well. So very much the, the Philadelphia Union of CONCACAF qualifying. Mm. And this is a, a Canada team with 
good players playing at the the highest level of the European game. I'll, I'll detail some of those players later on. So there's a genuine belief that Canada are a good team. They're not here by fluke and they could cause a bit of an upset at this World Cup. This is a difficult group for them, but I certainly don't think they'll be blown away. And I'm putting a, a, a tag on Canada around their neck that says, watch out for them potentially making the last 16. I don't think it's impossible that they that they could do that. Unfortunately, the, the joy around Canada's qualification for this World, World Cup has been tainted slightly by a, a pretty bitter dispute between the, the players and Canada Soccer, the, the National Federation, over bonuses and, and image rights. This is a saga that's been going on for a number of months and still isn't resolved, even with the World Cup kicking off this weekend. But to provide the, the short synopsis of it, essentially the Canadian players believe they are being shortchanged by their own national federation, who are intent on pocketing. Obviously, when you qualify for a World Cup, you get bumper revenue related to TV broadcasting and merchandise and certain commercial streams. And basically, the players feel that they are being cut out of those deals and the saga has become so bitter that there was a friendly against Panama, which was cancelled just two hours before kickoff in Vancouver. And that was due to the players refu- refusing to play for Canada. There's all, the, the players have also skipped certain training sessions. So it's far from ideal that this is the backdrop for this Canada team in Qatar. I hope for their sake and for the players' sake that they're somehow able to put that to one side. Obviously, I think it's important that in some way, they revisit it and they, uh, they they get their fair cut of the deal. But for the games themselves, I hope that they can focus on those matches because this is a good team with good players. Indeed. Need to sort out the loonies and toonies in Canada, it sounds like, Grant. Thank you very much. Uh, Joe, Morocco's story heading in. Okay, so they took all 18 points from six games in their CAF qualifying group. They were the only African team to win all of their games, and they had the best defensive record and the second most goals scored. So a very good stretch through qualifying. Then they beat the Democratic Republic of Congo 5-2 on aggregate to make it in uh, into the World Cup. So that was the last stage for Morocco. Before that, they won their AFCON group, uh, but lost Egypt in the quarterfinals. We covered that tournament. That was a disappointment for this team, obviously. Make no mistake, though, after that disappointing tournament, this team has quality. They have a handful of game-breaking talents, And they also have drama, right? So I mentioned this kind of earlier on, but there was a managerial change just a few months ago that was sort of a result of the power struggle. There was a disagreement between the previous manager and the Moroccan Federation and certain players. Now certain players are back in the team. It's all been very fun to watch, and it's all centered around Hakim Ziyech, who is really a star for this group. He plays on the right wing, left-footed, extremely talented winger. And basically, and I'll talk more about this when we get to players later, there is uh, issues about him being called in or not called in, him wanting to be called in, that he announces his international retirement, and then he is called in and doesn't accept the call-up, and it's a whole thing, right? They change managers. Morocco does end up with Walid Regregui, who has only coached them for two games. That is it. So it was a 2-0 win over Chile on September 23rd and a 0-0 draw with Paraguay on September 27th. So they have a lot of growing to do. They have weaknesses. You can see that the team is still trying to figure out what on earth they're supposed to be doing. But they do have real talent, and they are fun to watch in a lot of different ways. So I am certainly not counting this team out, despite all of the drama and weird stuff that's gone on with Morocco. Wowzers. Okay, uh, finally from me, the story of Croatia going in. They topped UEFA Group H in qualification. Uh, They finished above Russia in second. Russia, who were later suspended, of course. Uh, Their biggest win was a 7-1 win over Malta 
in the qualification. Uh, slight history lesson. Obviously, Croatia was part of Yugoslavia, uh, got its independence in 1991. Uh, it was not a FIFA member for the 94, in time for the 94 World Cup. So the first World Cup as Croats that this team uh, participated in was 1998, when they made the semi-finals, went all the way to the final four in that one. And the next time... They made them knockout rounds of this competition was 2018 last time around when they were finalists as well. Uh, Last summer in the Euros, they made the round of 16. You may remember they went out to Spain in extra time in a pretty spectacular way. Uh, And in the Nations League, as I mentioned, they topped League A Group 1, a group, a very difficult group with France and Denmark. They beat the French on their own backyard in Saint-Denis in Paris, and they beat Denmark too, both of whom they beat in 2022. So this is Croatia's sixth World Cup. Expectation is still pretty high. But for this team to go all the way to the final seems uh, pretty unlikely given the field. But hey, don't rule them out. Uh, We'll come to that and much more after we take this quick break. And we're going to come back and talk about managers, about tactics, and all that jazz. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Group F preview. Taylor Rockwell, if you will, talk us a little through Belgium their manager, and how they roll out there on the field in their Guy Fieri suits. Sure. The manager, oh, you beat me to it. I was going to say the manager of this exciting team, the flavor town of this group, <laughs> if you will, uh, is oh, Roberto Martinez. I will. <laughs> Martinez, if you're English. Uh, Martinez, if you're everybody else. Uh, <laughs> and he has been there for quite some time. He has been there for six years. Again, old faithful. Uh, you, you know who the manager is. You know that they're going to play in a back three. Uh, and he has been... A very successful manager who people are still mad at. Uh, he has the best record of any Belgian manager ever. Uh, in 70 games, he's got 52 wins, 11 draws, 7 losses. That's good for a 74% winning percentage. Apologies to Louis Nikolai. I am not counting your one game, one win record of 100% victories in 1957. That doesn't count because you weren't even the coach. You were on the, the Belgian board of directors or something like that. Less said about the 1957 team, the better. More about 2022. Martinez, though, despite all those successes, has not won anything. They've made it to, uh, I think they won the third place in 2018. They get knocked out in the quarterfinals by Italy in the Euros. And there's a feeling that this team still hasn't reached that full potential, a thing we've often said about Belgium. And so, though he has been successful, though they've won a lot of games, this is sort of the, the make-or-break moment for him. He is the technical director, the national team coach of Belgium is Martinez, but I believe he is out of contract at the end of the year. So, 
he may leave regardless, but I think this will be the one where he's targeting a big run, making the final, winning the whole thing, and cementing his legacy. Uh, to do so, as I said, they're going to play in a back three, likely a 3-4-2-1. When they are attacking, that tends to be a 3-2-2-3. Three, two, two, three. I think those numbers add up. You have your three center backs sort of narrow and tight. You've got the two defensive-minded midfielders or holding midfielders ahead of them. Then you've got the two central attacking midfielders ahead of them. And then those wing backs push all the way up alongside that central striker. And you have lots of numbers committed to the attack. You've got wing backs staying high and wide. They're looking for long diagonals and big switches of play. The midfield duo will uh, basically... Drop in the, the holding midfield duo and the two number tens will kind of combine into that square that allows them to have good possession in the middle and, and kind of pull opponents out. And then a target striker leading the line, running in behind, uh, which could be Romelu Lukaku, uh, more likely a less heralded player. We're going to talk about individual players later on, but there is still that concern with the squad, with the tactics of can Lukaku go? Is Aiden Hazard fit enough to, to play the full 90? Will they have those star performers there to make those star performances to get them those wins? Only time will tell. Answer all those questions, please. Uh, don't know, don't know, and don't know, but I do know <laughs> that they will attack, attack, attack. They have only failed to score twice under uh, Roberto Martinez. Wow. Uh, they have scored in 68 of 70 games. They will score some goals, Belgium. Okay, that's good to hear. It sounds like, Taylor, it's another team in this World Cup where we're saying they've got high marauding fullbacks and they're going to play a positive attacking style. So it seems like every team is going to do that, and then there's Iran, basically, at this tournament so far. <laughs> Wingbacks this time would oh, be the, the exception. And, and really, yeah, if you look at the... Well, obviously, we're going to get to the roster later on. But in terms of depth, they are pretty well set at wingback. They've got lots of different options there. Uh, maybe not as many options elsewhere, but wingback, they've got plenty. And one thing, Taylor, I'm not sure you mentioned, that Thierry Henry is still an assistant coach with Belgium. He was at the 2018 World Cup. I, I, I don't understand that one, but hey, he's there for the ride, it seems. He's there for the ride. You want somebody to go in and say, it's not hard to score. Just put it in the top corner every single time. It's easy. Why can't you do it this way? Yeah, here, let me show you. At the Euros, uh, Roberto Martinez's coaching staff was Thierry Henry and Sean Maloney. Strange duo, that one. I think (laughs) Putting those two together. With that in mind, I think Vermeulen has joined the coaching staff as well. I might be wrong on that, but uh, obviously Vincent Company has moved on uh, to the championship, soon to be the Premier League, uh, and I think Vermeulen has moved on to be an assistant that, under Martinez. That one makes more sense, though, given you know his, a bit. his track record with the national team. <laughs> Having a legendary Frenchman with, as far as I can see, no connection to Belgium, and then a former Wigan athletic playmaker as your coaching staff, yeah, seems strange. Yeah, but you know what? That's how that's how you spring those surprises. That's how you truly take someone to the unexpected, aka Flavortown. Yeah, maybe Roberto <laughs> Martinez is going to bring like his barber and his accountant onto the coaching team as well. Just anyone he vaguely is connected to is going to be a coach. I saw the hey. US; they've flown their barber over to Qatar. True story, and, oh. and an Italian chef that they met in El Salvador, and Vlako Andinovsky, Weirdly, so those those well, three. Well, the Italian Vlako's chef- going. Yeah, yeah. For some reason. Oh yeah. No one knows why. What, it's just uh, a free ticket, or is he actually going to do anything? He said he's going to help the U.S. Uh, oh, no. I don't. My, <laughs> my read is that he wants to see what a World Cup is like. I don't know. Has he been to a World Cup before? I can't remember. I, 
I don't know, but I, don't I think know. he should uh, maybe but, help the women's national team first, personally. But I think it's very important <laughs> to remember that Guy Fieri has the jackass role, which is his version of sushi. And in that way, maybe Thierry Henry is the unexpected ingredient, the unexpected food that you add to the mix you've already got going to just to, to bring about the unexpected to get you that extra little kick. He's just going to do that uh, kind of mouth twitch that he does as a halftime team yes, talk, and that will be the thing that pushes Belgium on to win the World Cup. <laughs> All right, that's enough. Graham, Canada, please. Their manager, the tactics. Sure. So John Herdman is the Canadian national team manager. He's an Englishman, and I love his story and the path that he's taken to being the manager of this team. So this is his third international job. But his last two jobs were in women's soccer. He was the the head coach of the Canadian women's team that won bronze medals at the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. And that led to him being named the the head coach of the Canadian men's team. In 2018, he was also the the, the head coach of the New Zealand women's team before he he was um, the Canadian women's team manager. And I just think that's very interesting to have a manager that's made that progression. I I, I don't think that's very common i can't really think of another manager off the top of my head that has done that and um, before herdman took over the men's team canada they hadn't even made the the final round of concacaf qualifying for the 2018 world cup and missing out on world cups had become the norm for that team that was expected and nobody expected canada to make it through concacaf qualifying for the 2022 world cup but herdman came in and he immediately set about galvanizing the group. He's a very good public speaker, Herdman. After you hear him talking, you kind of want to run through brick walls for him. He instilled a belief within the team and the program that Canada could qualify for a World Cup. And very early on, Canada built momentum and they just continued to build all the way through qualifying to the point that they qualified top of the octagonal, as I mentioned previously. Um, Herdman says Sir Bobby Robson, is his idol and at that point Same. I wondered if John Herdman is actually Ryan Bailey but then I read that he's uh, five foot six and I think Ryan you're a little bit taller than that uh, so maybe not the same person he, he's an interesting guy John Herdman you will often see him on the touchline with an airpods in one ear presumably getting information from his coaches and not just list- listening to uh, to Spotify playlist maybe he's listening to Total Soccer Show on the touchline <laughs> in terms of his tactics He's also very interesting in this respect as well. Interesting is a word that I'm, I'm using a lot. He's a very versatile coach. He changes his tactics game to game and even within games as well. Formation-wise, Canada will likely set up in a, a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2. Against stronger teams, they like to use the 4-4-2 and when they expect to have a bit more possession and opportunity to build up the play from the back, they use that 4-2-3-1 shape. Um, they're a team that isn't afraid to concede possession. In fact, it's often an important part of their, their game plan, even against... CONCACAF teams kind of like to sit back and allow opponents to, to come on to them. They keep a narrow defensive shape. They work hard. They're disciplined. Um, they're in the 88th percentile for, for fouls. And that is a notable thing about playing Canada. A lot of their players went to the Fernandinho school of cynical fouling. They stop quick transitions against them at the source as often as they can. And, the, and they're a difficult team and a frustrating team to play against. In an attacking sense, Canada like to hit out on the counter-attack and they are very, very good at this. They are direct in possession. They make good decisions. I remember watching the the, the game they played against the USA in Canada where they win 2-0. And when it all works, like it did work in that game, it's exhilarating to watch. I think counter-attacking teams can sometimes be typecast as almost one-dimensional. I wouldn't say that at all about this Canada team because 
when it works, when the counterattack works, when the quick transition works, it's all quick, quick decisions, very high technical ability. And I love a good counterattacking team and Canada could be one of the most effective at this World Cup. They want to get in between the lines. Um, they want to get into the final third quickly with lots of bodies. And if Canada play as well as they did in qualifying, they'll be a dangerous opponent at this World Cup. Belgium and Croatia, who are the, the, the traditional forces in this group, maybe the favourites to go through. I don't think they should take Canada lightly at all. And in fact, when you look at Belgium and Croatia, the profiles of those teams, and traditionally they, they, they like to have the ball, I actually think this could be a, a bad mismatch for them against Canada. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult group in terms of the profile of the teams that Canada have been drawn with, but in terms of the, what, what those teams like to do, I, I actually think it might suit them quite well. All right. Uh, John Herman, by the way, Graham, uh, was born and raised in County Durham, as was Sir Bobby Robson. So that might explain his uh, ah. hero worship of Sir Bobby. Um, question for you. If he wins the World Cup with Canada in that, in that scenario, does he get a knighthood <laughs> beca- and because he's taken a Commonwealth team to the World Cup? Because obviously, if you win the World Cup and you're an England manager or you're an England player, you will get knighted. Would he? Um Possibly, but I think if you win the World Cup with Canada, I feel like that's a greater accolade than... It's a little bit like when in the UK, Ryan, when people do something good in sport, immediately people go, well, that's him winning BBC Sports Personality this year. I'm like, he's just won Wimbledon. He's just won something like huge in the sporting world. So I'm not sure that'll be at the forefront of John Herman's mind. But yeah, sure, why not? Let's give him a knighthood. Uh, Just give him a knighthood now, actually. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, I mean, those knighthoods, lots of people want them. David Beckham really wants one. Oh, anyway, he does. Uh, Morocco, Joe, tell us about their manager and tactics. Yeah, fun fact about Guy Fieri, he doesn't like eggs either, which is weird, right, for a food personality. So that's that's one fact I wanted to drop quickly before we get into this Morocco bit. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. I know, crazy, right? Just very, yeah, very crazy. Yeah. Um, new manager, I mentioned earlier, very recent change. So Vahid Halihadzic had been in charge since 2019. Walid Regregi took over very recently. Regregi is 47, born in France, represented Morocco at the national team level, former Morocco assistant, uh, then coached in Morocco at the club level for a while, and now has had the national team job since August 31st of 2022. So has not been on the job very much at all. And pretty much the first thing he did when he got this job was to call in some of Morocco's absolute best players back into the fold and actually get them into the team. Hakim Ziyech, who I mentioned earlier, winger, 29, plays for Chelsea, and Nosei Mazraoui who is a fullback, 24 years old, plays for Bayern Munich. Those players had been out of the team. So Ziyech was in the national team picture for a while, then was out of it for 15 months. As I mentioned earlier, he retired from international soccer in February. Halihazic had left him out of the squad for a poor attitude. This is a quote from Morocco's former manager. For the first time in my coaching career, I saw a national team player who doesn't want to train and claims to be injured. Although tests have shown he can play, I won't tolerate it. So that was sort of the center of this beef between Ziyech and uh, and in Morocco, at least between the the past coaching staff, uh, then was called in uh, back for shoot. It was a playoff, right, to get Morocco into the World Cup. Halihazic called Ziyech in. He said no. Mazraoui was also called in. He also said no after he had been out of the team as well. So again, to reiterate, these are two of Morocco's three best players that had not been in the team. Now they're back. So Regregi has sort of restored things, and I think that coaching change smoothed a lot of things over for those stars. So in terms of the tactics, we're seeing a system that really sets those players up to succeed 
it's Akraf Hakimi on one side of the back line at right back. It's Mazrawi on the left side. Even though he's right-footed, he can still do the job over there. And then it's it's Ziyech up high on the right wing. And and he and Hakimi really flip-flop in vertical channels. It's a 4-3-3, so it's very symmetrical in possession. Hakimi and Ziyech will sort of swap back and forth. And it's it's fun to watch. This team is really enjoyable. They played that 4-3-3 in both of their September games under Regregi. The defensive identity doesn't seem very clear to me, which is a, a major concern in a World Cup. That is like the thing that you need to have sorted out. They don't seem to. Pretty gappy defensively, definitely space to attack into, but very dangerous on the flip side. Like they can be dangerous in the attack. They have a lot of quality in this group. Great flexible wing play. I, I like watching this team. They're not maybe going to be the most disciplined group or the disciplined team in this group. But on quality, they have game breakers. And that, for me, makes them really enjoyable to watch. Wonderful stuff. So it sounds like we've got some pretty entertaining uh, teams in this group, very much including Croatia, whose manager is Zlatko Dalic, of course, who was a defensive midfielder by trade during his playing career. He's also coached in Saudi Arabia and the UAE before um, becoming Croatia manager. So familiar with the region as well. Now, interestingly, Zlatko has given a quote which pretty much lays out his philosophy for this team. He says, when you have a midfield like ours, you have to strive to move the ball and create your chances through possession. We must play out of the back. And when the midfielders don't have to drop deep to get the ball, we are more dangerous. We'll press when possible. And when not, we'll defend in a block. That quote I got from The Guardian from Zlatko explaining what he does with this team, which is usually set up in a 4-3-3, sometimes a 4-2-3-1, but mostly a 4-3-3 to make the most of that midfield unit. This team is all about the midfield, the midfield trio of Luka Modric, uh, Marcelo Brozovic and Mateo Kovacic, who have more than 300 combined caps between them. Wowzers. Uh, They like to control play. They like to... um, press very high they're like a high tempo very direct style of play so rounding out this group with another team who promise at least to be pretty exciting to watch on paper and we'll get much more into the kind of players who are going to do that and much more after this quick break when we come back rosters and very specific predictions back shortly looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be 
offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our preview of World Cup Group F. Taylor Rockwell, let's turn our attentions once again to Belgium. Let's hear a bit more about their key players, who's making up this mm -hmm. squad and what they're doing. Uh, some questions about who will make up that squad. The biggest one being at the number nine spot. Romelu Lukaku is obviously the name there, the player that they want fit but he is not fit. He's been injured for much of the season, including re-injuring himself uh, lately. So he's only played like 20-ish, 27 minutes, I think it was, this entire season. He is still in the squad, but the, you have to ask those questions about will he actually be able to go? And if so, how fit is he? How sharp is he? Will he do what is needed in this system with this team? Uh, and so... I think one of the most important players for Belgium has become Michi Bachwai, a player who I think last we saw in a World Cup was kicking a ball into a post and then into himself. Uh, but this time round uh, has been <laughs> scoring goals for them, has become a really important player for Belgium in Lukaku's absence. Uh, he scored in four of their past eight games. He's got 26 goals and 47 international appearances. And I think if Lukaku isn't able to go, it will be Batshuayi. Uh, the same question marks around Aiden Hazard due to his infrequent appearances at Real Madrid and his fitness issues as well. So you might get uh, Charles de Ketteler. Still can't pronounce that one properly. Uh, recently, Vasi Milan. Could be Dries Mertens. Could be uh, Yannick Carrasco. Uh, but the man that we know will be in that attack is Kevin De Bruyne. And in the absence of those two sort of star names, he has really risen to the front if he wasn't already there. Uh, he had injections in the World Cup in 2018 to allow him to continue to play. It means that much to him. And he is the focal point of the attack. Uh, he is the link-up man. He is the assist provider. He is the creator, uh, even the free kick taker on occasion. So I think Kevin De Bruyne cannot be overlooked. Uh, 
I'm not breaking any ground by saying he's quite, quite good. Hmm. Um, as I said previously, 3-4-3, 3-4-2-1 is going to be the shape. We would assume that means it will be Axel Witzel and Yuri Tielemans in the middle. Uh, that is who it has been pretty much every game. I think like six of the last seven for Axel Witzel and five of the last seven for Yuri Tielemans uh, would be the starts there. Uh, we would get likely Tom, uh, Thomas Mounier on the right, maybe Castagne uh, there, maybe Castagne on the left, uh, left wing back. Could be Torgan Hazard, could be uh, Leandro Trossard. As I said, lots of wing back options for Belgium. Center backs is where we run into some issues because it is very familiar names. It is Jan Vertonghen, it is Toby Alderweireld, uh, and then we would assume Leandro uh, Dendonker. It could be uh, Zeno de Bast, uh, Arthur Thiet. I don't know how to pronounce that one. I apologize. But you've got basically veterans who have been there for a long time, but maybe too long. And then you've got youngsters coming through who maybe don't have the international reps. All of that anchored by Thibaut Courtois in goal. Might be Simon Mignolet. He's played plenty, but Courtois is who's very likely to start in this World Cup. And so with Belgium... You see, there's tons of recognizable names. There are plenty of youngsters coming through who could be that next big player. But ultimately, it's going to come down to those star performers. And I think the three that could end up, make, could end up making a difference, especially if Lukaku can't go, are Batshuayi, Kevin De Bruyne, and Yannick Carrasco, because we've seen him play left wing back. I believe he's played right wing back. We've seen him play left and right wing for that. Maybe he'll even play center forward if, if things don't work out. But uh, I think those are the three players that I think could be pretty important to this Belgium team advancing far in the tournament. Taylor, when you look at mm-hmm. the the age and the profile of these Belgian players, the narrative around Belgium going into this World Cup is, and I think you might have referenced this earlier, that this is kind of the last yep. chance for this golden generation mm-hmm. to win a major title. Do you think maybe they've already missed their last chance? Because you look at the 2018 World Cup where they make the semifinals, finish third, and... I'm looking at their team right now, and it's just a much more complete team. So their back three is Alderweireld, Company, Vertonghen, and obviously two of those back three are still playing. But mm-hmm. at the, at, back in 2018, at that time, you know, Company is a keeper from Man City, Vertonghen and Alderweireld are playing for a very good Spurs team. It just seems like this is them coming down the other side yep. of the mountain. Eden Hazard as well. He's still an important player for this Belgium team, but hasn't really done anything for like three years. Mm-hmm. So do you think the narrative is that this is their last chance? Is that spot on? Or, or do you think actually the, the time has already passed? Uh, I mean, it is their last chance for these guys to win a lot of them. But yes, I do think the time has passed. And that is, I said earlier, there's frustration with Roberto Martinez, uh, which again, seems odd given the success he has had and the win percentage. But at least part of that has to do with exactly what you're talking about, Graham, that you've got these players who have been there for a very long time, whether or not they justify that. Aiden Hazard, a very good example of that. And and I think that's where, similar to the U.S. women's national team uh, and previous criticisms, you've got players who have 123, 141, 126, 100, 122, tons of caps for these players. But then the youngsters coming behind them, and sometimes even in the case of like Wout Weiss uh, who, of Leicester City, He's a youngster with one cap. He's 24. Like, there haven't been a ton of opportunities for those younger players. Instead, he is stuck with the the names that he is comfortable with, that he has a relationship with, that he has coached for six years. But with that then comes a starting midfield that's going to have a 33-year-old in there. Yuri Tielemans is 25, but Kevin De Bruyne is 31. The defense is 33 and 35 and 31. And like early 30s, you're fine. You can still run around. It's not that big of a deal. I think that sometimes gets a little bit exaggerated. But I do think that you don't have that next generation 
really pushing them on. You don't have those challengers that make players elevate or make players get put on the bench. And I contrast that with the uh, the preview I did for Japan, where those tough decisions have been made. Bigger names, more long-term names, have been sent to the bench, kept in the squad, or sometimes not even included in this World Cup roster. Whereas with Belgium, a lot of the same names that we saw last time will be there again, for better, for worse, and I, I'm inclined to say that makes them worse. So, yeah, Graham, mm-hmm. I think there's a pretty strong argument that the golden generation has sort of already missed yeah. that window or it is very quickly closing. And and not for the first time, I think that golden generation tag yeah. might have done Belgium some harm, whereas they, they because they get kind of caught up in this idea of we've got to win a title with this golden generation. If they if they're not caught up in that, maybe Eden Hazard isn't in this squad entirely. Maybe that's there's you know mm-hmm. De Catalera is, is coming into that team, but yeah. because they've got this idea of this team needs to win something big, they kind of eke it out a little bit too long rather than just managing the group of players as they should and bringing in like new players every so often to keep it fresh and replenished. Yeah, and there, there's a narrative there as well that um, like historically I talk about this a lot because I think it's really fascinating that historically the locker room used to be divided between I think it was. Dutch speakers and Flemish speakers, or it might have been Flemish and French. But either way, you had this clear divide. But the more uh, like players from disparate backgrounds, the more uh, immigrant players you had in the national team, those divides broke apart. So for a while, there was this feeling that it's actually like an unshackled Belgium team that aren't beholden to history and can kind of come together to form this collective good that can play the best soccer it's ever played. And now that has sort of evolved into maybe they've played together so long and had so many tournaments together that they haven't won that it's now gone the opposite way. And there's this pressure. There's this feeling of, oh, no, here we go again. And if you've played for a team that has coughed away a lead multiple times, if you are up 2-0 and then the other team scores, are you bringing that baggage? Are you worried about, oh, no, last time this happened, they scored two more goals. Is that going to happen again? There is this concern that maybe some of these players have been there so long, they've seen things go wrong so many times, that maybe they're slightly, if not comfortable, more accustomed to it happening or more paranoid about it happening. Either way, there is a fear that, again, the longevity of this team might be more of a problem than it is uh, a help. Uh, Graham, tell us a bit about the Canadian team. Is this a golden generation? Perhaps, yes. I'm not going to break any new ground with my first pick for a Canadian key player. Alfonso Davies. So he's one of the, the best players in his position. He's a four times Bundesliga champion. He's a Champions League winner. Yeah, he's fine. When he's it. fit. He's fine. <laughs> when, he, when he's fit, he's, he's one of the first names on the Bayern Munich team sheet. And that is the key point about Alfonso, Dav- Alfonso Davies. Fitness. He, he has missed a lot of games over the last year or so due to injury. Canada had to learn how to cope without Davies um, in qualifying because he, he only he played only seven of the final fourteen qualifiers, and he actually he picked up an injury um, just a couple of weeks ago, which initially looked like it might be a problem for him at the World Cup. Since then, Bayern Munich have come out with a statement and said it's not going to be a problem. He's included in the Canada squad, and hopefully he'll be okay. But that is something to note about Davies is his his pretty. Uh, patchy injury track record. The other thing to note about Davis is that he, he generally plays a different position for Canada than he does for Bayern Munich. So for Bayern Munich, he is a, a flying fullback. He's all about getting forward at pace and direct running and bursting to the byline and cutting it back. And for Canada, he has played in a more advanced position where he has freedom to create. Yes, of course, there's a lot of overlap between his, the, this role and the one he plays for Bayern Munich. But Canada looked to, to Davis to, to make things happen a little bit more. And I, I liken it 
it's not the perfect comparison, but I liken, liken it to how uh, David Alaba has a broader role for Austria than he does at club level. Obviously, because they look to him as someone that's playing at the high, highest level, they think he can have a greater influence on the on on the wider team. And Canada do similar with Davis, another player operating at a high level in in, in Europe in this Canada team is Jonathan David. Um, so he finished as the second top scorer in Concacaf qualifying behind another Canadian striker also playing in Europe, Kyle Lahren. And um, to understate it, David is is very highly rated in European football. It feels like maybe after this World Cup, he could be one of the players in January that that gets a big move. There was some chat about him in the summer. He uh, was born in Brooklyn, which is a painful one for USMNT fans who obviously have discussed who's going to play at number nine for seems like the last 10 years or something like that. Um, But David has has been an excellent form for for Lille this season. He's got nine goals in 14 games. And David and Laren, they like to play off each other. And Laren gives Canada the, the flexibility to go to a front two or to, or a, a four two three one with Laren in a, a slightly wider role. So in a sense, Laren tactically is maybe the more important of the two. But David is the one with a higher individual ceiling. Obviously, you have Tejon Buchanan there as well, who's pretty decent and obviously someone that MLS fans know also playing in, in, in Europe. Uh, he's at Club Bruges like Kyle Laren. Uh, the midfield, looking at the Canadian midfield, it's probably the thinnest area of their squad, which is why uh, Stephen Eustachio, I hope I pronounced that correctly, he is so important to them. He plays for Porto at club level. I think maybe, Joe, we may have spoken about him on, yeah. a, on a Champions League podcast recently. So someone that we've seen recently, he's playing at a high level and he's the one at the, the base of the Canadian midfield who gives them control. He's comfortable on the ball. He's able to play the ball forward from deep. He's also a very good crosser from set pieces and we all know how important set pieces can can be in tournament soccer. And the reason he is so important to this Canada team, not just because he's a very good player, but there's no one else in the squad that can do the role that he does. So if he were to get an injury or suspension, that would be a pretty big blow to Canada. So he also makes my, my list of key players. Generally speaking, Canada haven't really been affected by injuries too much. As I mentioned, there was a concern over Alfonso Davis after he came off in a, in a Bayern game. But in his own words, he's 100% going to be at the World Cup. He's included in the squad. Maxine Crepo won't be there after his MLS Cup injury. And defender uh, Scott Kennedy will also be missing. But I think it's fair to say Canada can absorb those injuries. All their key players should be there, which is good news for Herdman. And I am looking forward to seeing them play at this World Cup. Wonderful stuff. As am I, Graham. Uh, Joe, how about Morocco? Some key players. Okay, so I mentioned Hakim Ziyech already. He's in the team. Uh, he's very, very good, even though he's sort of been cast aside a little bit at Chelsea, much like Christian Pulisic hasn't been playing the biggest role at club level. But he's just an excellent player, very, very talented, was exceptional at Ajax, and that's how he earned his move to Chelsea in the first place. He's someone to watch, as well as Akraf Hakimi. Hakimi is probably the single best player on this team. Has played for Dortmund and Real Madrid and Inter Milan and in PSG. He is incredibly fast, like absolutely rapid. He will get up and down that right side. He is one of the best fullbacks in the world. This group has some of the best outside talent, right? Outside defensive talent, if we want to loop Alfonso Davies into that group. And then Morocco's two fullbacks fullbacks are not half bad either. Masrawi is not quite as aggressive getting forward as Hakimi, especially playing on the side of his non-dominant foot. But he will get forward as well. Morocco will not hesitate to push those players forward and then to drop their number six into the back line to form sort of a a temporary back three in possession. Those players are ones that you should keep your eyes on, as well as Amin Harit, 
who was with Weston McKinney at Schalke, is now playing in uh, in Ligue 1 with Marseille, is a very smooth, technical uh, midfielder, great at progressing the ball with uh, with passing and with his dribbles. He is really good in tight spaces and will play as one of Morocco's number eights in this tournament ahead of a number six. All of those players are worth watching, as well as Yassine Bounou, who's a goalkeeper, plays for Sevilla in, in La Liga, is a very good shot stopper. Has been, I believe, a positive shot stopper based off of uh, post-shot expected goals for the last five seasons. That's from Girona to Sevilla. He's been at Sevilla for several years now. Has had a good start to this 2022-2023 year with Sevilla. Has saved them about three goals more than expected so far. And is, I think, a, a really talented shot stopper. So, all of those players are keys for this Moroccan team. And like I said before, I think this is a really fun group. I think this one could go a lot of different ways. And if those players are firing, Ziyech and Mazraoui and Hakimi and Harit and Bounou, like this team can do something in this tournament. All right. Sounds like this might be a close group. We'll get our predictions on that shortly, but not before a quick run through some key players for Croatia. Uh, starting in the back, uh, they got a a pair of young centre-backs and a pair of older centre-backs. So the younger ones are the ones I suspect will start. Uh, Josip Sutolo from Dinamo Zagreb. And, of course, uh, Josko Gvardiol of RB Leipzig. Uh, the older options would be uh, Domago Vida, sort of the big Targaryen-looking dude you may have seen in tournaments before, who's at Leverkusen, and uh, Dajan Lovren as well, who, who have both been playing relatively recently. But I think it will be, the I suspect, the younger pairing who will make the cut here. In terms of fullbacks, uh, they've got Borna Sosa. Uh, of Stuttgart at left back, who's already had eight assists on this season. So he's one to look out for, although appears to have a knock at the moment. So maybe racing for fitness. Uh, and at right back, um, Josip Juranovic, uh, Graham of Celtic. I don't know if you can tell us mm. much about Juranovic. Yeah, he's 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 very good. He's been at Celtic a couple of seasons now, likes to get forward, um, was linked with Atletico Madrid in the summer and Manchester United. So I get the sense... Similar to I just said about uh, Jonathan David, if he has a good World Cup, then maybe he's one of those players that could be on the move in January. But yeah, lots to like about Juranovic, and um, it, he has a key player for this Croatia team. Yeah, and I think he'll get the start uh, in the right-back position. A left-back, they've also got an option of a of a Glasgow player, Borna Barisic as well from Rangers. I think probably Sosa will start ahead of him, but... Um... Yeah, you think you agree with that, Graham? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Barisic has got a great delivery on him, an excellent left foot. He's a threat from set pieces, but Juranovic is very much kind of a the complete fullback in the way that Barisic isn't. I would very much trust Juranovic more in a defensive sense, whereas Barisic you can get in behind him, and obviously that could be a bit of a problem at a World Cup. So I think Juranovic is a, is the better player of the two. Good stuff. Well, plenty of depth uh, for the Croats in defence. All the same, uh, the midfield picks itself uh, Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic in that midfield three of course Modric uh, without a doubt the key player still very sharp at 37 years old the golden ball at the last World Cup he got the Ballon d'Or of course in that year as well still very much a massive influence as a creative outlet in this team but also Marcel Brozovic uh, of Inter Milan of course as a holding midfielder Arguably the first name on this team sheet. Very, very important to this team as well. Uh, on you, and then you have uh, Vlasic and Perisic on the left and right side of a centre forward. A lot of this team, I would say, picks itself. Maybe one area of contention is those centre-back roles and uh, the centre forward. Uh, Mary Mandzukic is no longer in service to this team, unfortunately. So they're looking at either Marco Livaya of Hajduk Split playing his, 
soccer domestically, or Anthony Anti Budimir of Osasuna. So I'm not sure which one of those will start, but they've got a couple of options there. But most of the uh, they'll get a lot of support from Vlasic and Perisic. Uh, Nikola Vlasic of Torino, of course, on the right, and uh, Perisic probably on the left hand side of the number nine. Uh, so plenty of creative and uh, attacking outlets there. It's a pretty different squad to the Croatia squad of 2018. Up to half this team might be different. No enter Rebic in this team. He hasn't been in the squad since Euro 2020. Um, not played a lot in Serie A in that time, of course. And Ivan Rakitic has gone done retired from international soccer as well. So a pretty strong Croatia team. Uh, why don't we get to very specific predictions, though? Taylor, let's uh, circle back to Belgium. VSP, yes, sir. Uh, my specific prediction is that Belgium's high line will cost them at least once. That is to say, their high line will lead directly to a goal. Uh, Belgium like to press numbers into the opposition half. All three center backs will routinely be in the opposition's half. Uh, they like to get those chances. They like to have possession. But that oftentimes requires at least one speedy center back, if not a couple. Uh, and when we're looking at Vertonghen, Alderweireld, and then Donker, there's not a ton of speed. Uh, they have the speed of an inanimate object. Ryan, there's your in Bruges reference, which means Ray Fines <laughs> might smash them at any given moment. Uh, Witzel and Tielemans have a lot of defensive ground to cover as the, the kind of two more defense-minded midfielders. And what that means is that if they aren't able to close down teams in transition, if a ball pops loose off of a corner... If they can't close that down effectively quickly, that gives that time for that long ball, that direct ball to be played in behind, and then it's a foot race. And and I think we might see a yellow card or a couple yellow cards or maybe even a red card because of that, but I think it means that we will end up seeing a goal scored because Belgium are too committed to the attack, and that especially could be the case if they are chasing a game, if they need a result, if it's nil-nil or they're one-nil down. I think overcommitting to the attack might end up costing Belgium uh, at least once in this tournament. I like it. And perhaps several other teams in this group by the sound of things Seems as that way. well. Seems yeah. that way. Yes. And I and I should add, I, I am I am like I think my preview has given this away. Like somewhat down on Belgium. And I didn't expect to be there, but I think Graham, I'm really glad you asked me those questions because I think I hadn't fully explored that, but I think that's what it is. It's a team that there's so much talent there, there's so many names, there's so much quality. At the same time, it's names that we've seen for a while that are maybe a little bit long on the tooth that maybe don't have the parts around them or that next level to push them on. So I think they will be fine. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a run. Strangely, I wouldn't be surprised if they struggle to score goals and don't have that successful of a tournament. I think they're really capable of either thing, which maybe makes them less like Old Faithful, other than, again, there's like a dramatic explosion at various points. And that could be good or bad, I guess, depending on your perspective. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, Graham, your VSP for, can for Canada, please. So my very specific prediction for Canada might in some way be linked to Taylor's VSP Interesting. for Belgium Interesting. because I know a team that might be able to uh, take advantage of that high Belgian line and my VSP is that Canada will score at least one goal where they carry the ball 50 yards in the one attacking move. So they, they, they are a counter-attacking team. There are, there are a few counter-attacking teams teams at this World Cup but Canada like to come from very deep and they have players who can go a long way up the pitch in a matter of seconds and so I think Canada will score a very counter-attacky counter-attacking goal at some point during this tournament and it could well be against Belgium with their uh, their dodgy high line, high line I also predict that Canadian fans will be rightly unhappy that they are the only team at this World Cup not to get a new shirt for this tournament 
And I know, listeners, know I'm not joking when I say if that was my country, I'd be absolutely fuming, especially if I'd had to wait since 1986 to get to a World Cup and Nike didn't produce a new set of jerseys wow. for that tournament. But looking at Belgium's home kit, maybe maybe actually it's a blessing in disguise. Wow, that's a, that's a good fact, Graham. Get it together, America Junior. Come on. New kit, please. Come on. Um, <laughs> wow. Joe, Morocco's VSP. Okay, I'm going to steer us away from Ryan America Bailey Junior. Do not necessarily represent those of the Total Soccer Show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Fire. We truck. should record that and slap it in at random times during <laughs> yeah. shows, like when Ryan when Ryan tries to claim when Ryan tries to claim Erling Holland or Yunus Musa or whoever All other players he's tried to claim mm-hmm. as Americans. Yeah, that's when we put that in. Musiala. Yeah, claims there's him one. The other day. There's one. Jay Reyna. Okay, my VSP for Morocco is that they'll have at least four goal contributions from their right side. Now, four goals could be all of the goals they score in this tournament, in this group stage, if they don't make it out, which I kind of don't think they will. But I I think they're going to really burn teams down their right side, the opposing team's left. Ziyech and Hakimi on that side is so good. Like, that is an elite combination, even on this World Cup stage. I think they will make life miserable for teams, and I think this group is actually a pretty decent matchup for Morocco, in some ways, I think there'll be space for them to go and exploit, especially against Belgium and against Croatia, maybe a little less so against Canada. But I think they're going to have four goal contributions from their right side. I like it. Very good. I'll round off this scenario with my VSP for Croatia. I believe they'll make the round of 16 with exactly four points from the group, and they will go absolutely no further than the round of 16. I believe they're going to draw against Canada. I believe they will beat Morocco. I believe they will not get anything from the game with Belgium. Uh, They go absolutely no further than the round of 16 because the winner and runner-up of this group face the winner and runner-up from Group E, which is likely to be Spain or Germany, both of whom I believe would get past any of the contestants from Group F. So that's my prediction. Um, Round of 16 and four points for Croatia. Uh, On that note, Taylor... Who are you backing to get out of this group? I presume you feel Belgium will get out despite being a little down on them? Yeah, I, I think Belgium will will still be strong enough to make it out. And yeah, I think Croatia have uh, consistently proven they find a way to win, they find a way to play good soccer, especially when it comes to knockout competition. So I'll put Croatia in there as well. Okay. Uh, Graham, any, any movement there? Okay, so, <laughs> so far on my predictions for this World Cup, I've gone with logic, I think. I'm yes, going to go yes. with my heart or my gut on this one. I'm going to ignore my head. Shut up, head. Stay out of this. I, there's always a big country that crashes and burns at a World Cup. I think Belgium are going to crash and burn at this World Cup. You know I don't think I'm they're going to get out of the group stage. I think Canada and Croatia will get out of this group stage. I don't know if Belgium are going to finish bottom or third, but there's always one big nation that doesn't make out the group, and I think it's going to be Belgium. Graham... Again, I'm glad you spoke. Uh, Fully agree. And I think when you look at this Belgium team, again, could have the recipe for massive success. But there's like the manager who's been there for a really long time, who maybe trusts like his core group, maybe too much, who hasn't had the success. It's a generation that's pushing on. This is their last chance. And it does feel like a team that could just sort of not quite ignite, not quite get going. Yep. And Canada, I think, could be that surprise team. I think they've got a lot of talent and that ability to play on the break. And I think for a team like Belgium, they're going to want possession. They're going to want to be on the ball. I could see Canada getting them. It's a good shot. All right, I'm going Croatia-Canada. I like Graham's thoughts. Ooh, I like it. A change in opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, how do you feel about it? <laughs> um, I'm saying Belgium and Canada as the top two. I do think Belgium will make it through. 
I'm not really all that impressed by Croatia. I'll do, I, I do hope they'll be a bit better at this tournament than they were in the Euros. Mm-hmm. I, I think Morocco will finish third. And I'm, I'm going to put Croatia fourth just for the, for the heck of it. I'm going to say Belgium one, Canada two, getting out of this group. Well, now I don't know what to think about who's going to get out of this group. Can I just say that everyone's <laughs> going to have a lovely time? Maybe? No. Okay. They won't. They're probably not. That's probably impossible. <laughs> 50% of them probably won't. You're right, Joe. Uh, on that note, thank you very much, Lisa, for joining us Wait, on this did one. did we get a prediction? Did we actually get your answer? I'm still going to say Belgium and Croatia. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I, I, I think I, you don't allow Joe Lowry to sit on the fence. I'm not sure we can allow you to sit on the fence. Thank either. you, Taylor, for okay. catching <laughs> that. Between Ryan's hatred for Guy Fieri yeah. and now hey. this weaseling out of a prediction... Ryan, what's going on with you, man? So when I stayed in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, my hotel room key, and I had to get about five of them because I kept leaving them in the room, (laughs) they all had Guy Fieri's face on them. And I never once, I don't think I've ever been to one of his establishments, Joe, so I need to rectify that. I I mean, I I haven't haven't either. either. Yeah, I just, nor do I really plan to, to be honest. Google's Guy Fieri Brooklyn establishment. Oh, he had the New York Times, the Times Square review of his restaurant is one of the most scathing restaurant reviews I've ever read. I just, I think Guy Fieri (laughs) not being a person who appeals to Ryan Bailey is one of the biggest surprises of this World Cup review recording process. It really is a shocker to me. Uh, I will judge him after I've eaten his food, Taylor. How about that? Is that fair? uh, yes, it just it just feels <laughs> like the type of like you, you seem to like like the big bold flavors American style flavors at that. So that felt like Chilis. a thing that you'd go for. Yeah, I've got a restaurant for that, and it has a chili in its logo. Uh, that's what right. I need. You're right. They're far more classy and sophisticated chilies. Indeed, I don't need an apple in the logo. I don't need Garfieri's flames. Just mm. a chili in my logo for my casual dining. Thank you very much, uh, Taylor Rockwell. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode. As always, sir. Ryan Bailey annoyed that a Chili's in an airport wasn't open, but uh, Guy Fieri, not good enough for him. Ryan, thank you for hosting. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for listening. <laughs> oh, goodness, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for your services here. Yep, right back at you, Ryan. I'm still trying to get over this whole thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Graham Ruthven, if you've never had Chili's before, you and me, but we're going to have a time in, in Brooklyn. Oh, I, I have had Chili's before. I'm not sure that I am that keen to have it again. But yeah, sure, let's do Graham, it, Ryan Graham, Billy, thank you. You've been depressed before, right? Then yeah, you've probably eaten a Chili's. Oh. Yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> okay, I'm right to HR. But listener, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. We'll be back on the feed with our Group G preview. That's Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. But for now, bye!